Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rural Advancement. This is the podcast that is by rural leaders and for rural leaders. It is our goal every single week, week in and week out, to bring you content that is not just spoken to the rural church, but is spoken by people who get it, people who know what it's like to live, work, and minister in small, out-of-the-way places, and who know the immense value of what God does there. I am your host, Joe Epley, and you get to tune in over the next couple weeks to a conversation I had with Pastor Andy McMillan from Kansas. I so enjoyed his take on rural ministry, kind of how to contextualize the gospel, and how to look from the outside going in. So without further ado, let's dive into part one. And I am excited because this week we get to interview Pastor Andy McMillan. Uh, When I got to speak with Andy, it was really refreshing and exciting because, one, um, he has done podcasts in the past, which always makes conversations about podcasts that much smoother. Uh, But I was really excited mostly about what he had to say. Um, We just got to talk about how to contextualize and, and what it looks like to come into rural from a different setting and how that has impact on how we do ministry. And so I'm just super pumped uh, to glean from him today. Uh, but first, I just want to say, Pastor Andy, how are you doing, sir? Hey, I'm doing doing pretty good. It's It smells a little bit like cow manure outside, so you know it's a good day here in Kansas. Yeah, I uh, also think you get the distinction of being the most Kansas person to answer me back because uh, we tend to uh, get these names in batches from different places in the country. And when I said, hey, Andy, uh, you know, we should talk, he started talking about, you know, what time zone he's in. And I said, well, it's you can tell time by how the corn stalks flow or some other Kansas nonsense. It was uh, it was really great. I really appreciated it. You got to have fun with it. You got to you got to enjoy where you live. Yeah, You got to own it. Right. And we're going to talk about that today of like the idea of like, what does it look like to dive into your context? But uh, but first, we always love to do a bit of a flyover, let people know who we're talking to and uh, and why they're here. And so would you take a second to. Um, well, really, let's say five minutes or so to describe your background in ministry, where you've been, what you've done, and kind of your connection to the rural church. Uh, yeah, so I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. I grew up in a really strong Assembly of God church. It's called It was called Kingwood Assembly. It's not called Kingwood Church. That uh, For Alabama, it was really well known, especially in the area at the time I grew up. And I went to... Um, I went to become a pastor uh, about 21. I was in college, uh, finishing up school, finishing up um, my my degree. And I thought, well, I'll be able to, to finish online. They told me I could finish online. So I left school from Birmingham and took my first youth pastor job in a rural setting. Funny story, uh, when I tried to finish my degree online, they said, just kidding. So I have 90% of an undergraduate degree that will never be finished. Uh, so jokes on them though, because I switched to a much better degree. Anyway, there you go. There um, you go. So I moved from a city with a metro of about a million people to a town uh, that was probably under twenty thousand, if I had to guess. I honestly don't remember the stat for it, uh, but it was it was a small rural church and um i i cut my teeth in ministry there and uh it it's always had uh, just kind of a special place in my heart um i i was there for a few years uh, i left there primarily just because the church was in a really tight spot financially and just couldn't afford the role anymore and i moved from there to a suburb of atlanta and we went from pastoring teenagers in this really rural context to pastoring upper middle class white kids, which is actually a lot more different than you might think. And so like it's <laughs> sure, a very sure. it's a very different experience. And so um I, you know, I so it was it was very, very unique. I mean, I went from doing a funeral 
where at the funeral they pulled a truck up that they had turned into a giant cooler and you could beer while you were walking to the funeral to a church that had uh you know Mercedes and Lexus in the in the sure, sure. so slightly different clientele, right? And so uh so we were there or I was there for about uh, just a little under two years. I met my wife who was from my hometown uh, and got engaged while we were there. And then about about six weeks before we got hired uh, or we got married, we were hired to go to a church in uh, Florida. And so we moved to Florida uh, and lived right outside of Destin, Florida, which is kind of unique because it's rural, but it's not rural. It, it's a very interesting yeah. dynamic. There are a lot of states I, where like the rural mindset kind of permeates the whole state like like even even Kansas right i mean you talk about Topeka and Wichita you're talking 200,000 people 400,000 people you know real places but like you're in Kansas so like the mentality is is predominantly kind of with these same same parameters yeah. these same shared values it's so interesting to watch that happen so so go on uh, no for sure uh, so we spent 5 years we got married moved lived by the beach and it was the community in Florida, and this this might sound derogatory, but I don't mean it that way at all. Sure. It's rednecks and military people. Sure. So there's no one cutting you slack anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, you know, it, I remember the first time my boss threw me his keys to his F-250 and said, hey, go pick up my trailer at my house. He didn't ask me if I'd ever picked up a trailer before. He didn't ask me if I knew how to back up a truck to a trailer. Yeah, none of that he matters. He just actually. assumed you're <laughs> a dude, so you must know how to do this. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I mean, luckily I did, but I, I mean, I just thought, man, that's some trust right there. You yeah, know? yeah. So, I, you know, it was a unique experience. We went through some pretty chaotic stuff uh, with that church, uh, multifaceted chaotic stuff um, that really I really was forming for me as a pastor and as a leader. Uh, and then at the end of five years, uh, I moved to uh, Oregon. So we moved from Florida to Oregon, which is as miserable of a drive as you would think. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, that's quite, quite a waste. It was a lot. Uh, and so we moved, we lived 30 minutes outside of Portland, Oregon, in what's called the Willamette Valley. Uh, and so uh, it's a, it's basically a a wine community. It's uh, and so lots of coffee, lots of breweries, lots of wine. That's just that area of the country, and it's weird because it's it, it's less than thirty minutes outside of Portland, but it feels very unique. It doesn't feel sure. like you're in a suburb of a city. It's it's a very sure. unique space. But uh, we served there for three years through COVID and uh, left in 2021 uh, to come to rural Kansas. Um, for context, I live in a community of 6,000 people and it's the county seat. So there's, Classic. Actually, yeah, it's 5,600 people in the town and there's like 6,800 people in the county. Right, like, right. So I, it's, I, I it's do very, love those counties. Yeah, <laughs> for yeah. sure. So yeah, we've been here about two years leading leading the church here. It's called Oasis Church and we've really just had a blast with it for sure. Yeah, and give us a snapshot, and, and obviously we'll dive into some of the whys and some of what that looks like, but without getting into too much detail, give us a snapshot of the church in, um, you know, there where you live, because I, I know that it started somewhere, it's had some great growth, and kind of sure. how you've achieved that growth. Just give us a quick snapshot of the church as is, and then we'll dive into the whys. 
Sure. So our our church, uh, it, like I said, we're in a town of six thousand. We had a building that was donated several years before I got here. They renovated it in the time uh, leading up to me getting here. The fin- the building was finished in twenty eighteen, so they were only here a few years with it completely renovated. But the church had just experienced significant decline, and it had also experienced um, just a really rough financial situation. So we were about four months away from being bankrupt when I got here. Nice. And we were spending, yeah, I mean, I, it was, it was bad. So, and it wasn't necessarily that, that nobody was giving, but it was as much to say that we just weren't managing the money well. And so that was just where the, the the situation was. So the church in a 10 year period broke a hundred for the first time, um, got up to about two fifty. um, Pastors changed. They got a new building, lots of different stuff. COVID hit. So when I got here, there was just a just a little over 100 people. I think our average for the last half of 2021 was right at like 115. Sure. Um, that's probably a generous average. Sure. Uh, now we're, we're two years and some change in November was my two-year anniversary. So right now it's February 2024. And uh, our end of year average was 301. And uh, we're in a we're not in the spot we want to be financially because we've nearly tripled. We've just had to spend some money in some areas that we've needed to, but we're in a much better spot. Our income has grown substantially, attendance has grown. We've baptized 10% of our average attendance the last two years in a row. Nice. We've got about 60% of our church in small groups. And the other thing that's really unique about this particular situation is when I got here, we probably had 15 to 20% uh, Hispanic people in our town or sorry, in our church, Uh, but our town is 52% Hispanic. uh, And then our schools are 86% Hispanic. Oh, wow. So, So one of the things that we we've been really intentional about is working towards being the multicultural church in town. Cause here there's a bunch of white churches with a Hispanic family. Sure, uh, and sure. we just didn't feel like that was the goal. And so we wanted our church to look like our community. And so um, we're now right at about half um, Hispanic culture in our, or in our church. And we've done a lot to foster that, but we're right at 50% Hispanic in our church now. Cool. Well, yeah, that's a great snapshot. And I love just uh Love hearing how things come to be. Like like rural is such a place of story, you know, it's such a place of where did this church come from and, and who was here and, and where's it at now? Um, so let's start. So so obviously a lot of our interview is gonna be just these cool statements that you made to me when we were chatting on the phone. Um, a lot that because I really love the mindsets of ministers, right? That's all we're learning from is how do we how what helps us succeed, what helps us do the ministry God has called us to. And I was just uh, struck by these different kind of aspects of, of your ministry. So kicking off with kind of your personal pastoral journey, especially in light of moving, because again, Alabama to Florida to Oregon. Uh, to now Kansas, I mean, maybe not Alabama and Florida, though you could make a case there, but these are three vastly different regions of the country, um, vastly different contexts, vastly different sizes. And so through it all, you you mentioned trying to be kind of a chameleon, right, through throughout your ministry as a pastor. Obviously, vague statement, unpack that for us. What does that mean for us as pastors? Why is it important? You know, I I don't know that I would say I've had to try to do this. I I think it's 
some of it's natural. Some of it is intentional, but for sure. me, it's not something that I have to do. It's something that I feel like is a, is a responsibility and, and a opportunity to be effective at what I do. And so, uh, yeah, the, the phrase that best describes it is a chameleon type way of carrying yourself. And all I mean by that is we ask the question wherever God calls us, um, how do we integrate into the community? We live in such a culture that is so individualistically focused that it's about me and it's about how I can be the best version of me possible that we rarely ask the question is the best version of you, the best version in the situation that you find yourself in. Sure. Sure. Uh, and so for us, uh, for my wife and I, we've just really said, Hey, we want to be in, in the place that God's called us and wherever that is, we want to adapt, you know, what, what we do uh, in ministry is different than what we did in Oregon. You know, you you go to Oregon and you tell the guys that you want to take a bunch of dudes out shooting, and I, that's not that's not the vibe. Like it's just sure, not what they sure. they want to go sit at a coffee shop and they want to talk about life and and philosophy. Cool, that's fine. That that's totally fine. And we did that in Oregon, but here it's just a different it's just a different community. Um, it, it's it's a community full of very entrepreneurial. Uh, people, lots of agriculture. Um, some of the smartest people I've ever been around, to, to be honest, are are here in Kansas. Um, but what they do, the way that they do it, the way that they live their life is just different. And so if we're called to pastor these people, the question is, what do we need to do in order to fit in? And I, I really do feel like it, it's such a, it, it's probably one of the things that I do that's probably the most unique to to me is that we work really hard to ask the question, both in what we do in Sunday morning, but also how we pastor people, uh, how my wife and I pastor people that we choose to be people that integrate into the culture we're in. I, I don't need to stick out. I right. want people to go, that man fits in this town. That yeah. man gets what's going on. He might be an outsider, but, but he has a clue about what's happening. And and we've we've been able to do that fairly well in just about every place that we we've ever lived. And I'm still me. I mean, there's still parts of my personality that are that are Andy. Like that's just part of yeah. it. But we work really hard to figure out those spaces and those ways to blend in. I, I really do think it's uh, what Paul was saying when he said, "Be all things to to all people." What, right. what do you need to to gain? Uh, friendship and relationship with people so that you can really pastor them and shepherd them and lead them. Right. Well, and let's talk about that tension just a little bit, kind of as an extension of that. Uh, I think that the general leadership climate is that, uh, and, and really cultural climate is this matter of, you know, we want to be authentic as people. And I think that's a positive shift, right? Like pastors need to be uh, authentic in their own giftings, uh, preaching their own style, all these different things. But then we find this command in scripture and, and kind of the mentality you're talking about of, okay, but I still have to fit the culture I'm at. I still have to change to to reflect this. And so maybe walk us through like a balance. You know what I'm saying? What does it look like to both be authentic to yourself, to lead out of your strengths and giftings, but also to to be all things to all people? Let's just keep that conversation going. Sure. Uh, I would say it's a pendulum, right? I, you know, 
in the in the church that that probably you and I grew up in, uh, there was just a really uh, high expectation that the pastor just had their crap together. You know, right. you had you had to be the guy. You had to be the the person who was always good and always available and always able to give the the right anecdotal deal. And and we've swung the pendulum from this is what we expect ministers to be to hey you need to be yourself and it swung hard right, right. like it's, it's really it's really swung hard and I, I don't know for ministers coming up i don't know how healthy the focus of i need to just be me is i think it's i think it's a little on the dangerous side and and this is why I, first of all it's an excuse to not grow up sure. um well, this is just who I am. Well, well, if who you are sucks as a leader, <laughs> like man, that's a, that's, a, that's a statement. No one's putting that on you know, inspirational Christian wall art, just you so know, you know. Like, if who if you who, are sucks, change. Yeah, <laughs> like you should probably do something about that. Sure, you know? sure. I spent I spent uh about a hundred man hours in the process of trying to find we just hired somebody to come and serve. Uh, for the first full-time role that our church has had to offer um, because, you know, we've tripled in size and we yeah, yeah. to bring somebody in. And I, I remember like going through so many interviews and one of the things, the things that were the most interesting to me was how the focus for so many uh, specifically a, a very specific demographic was, well, I just need to be able to be myself and I just need to be. And, and I just thought, that was just never a thought that occurred to me. Sure. sure I just sure. wanted to be able to do ministry and and to have somebody groom me and mentor me. Um, the second thing that I thought was interesting, and it's kind of the same thing foundationally, just uh, manifesting in a different way, was the, the lack of willingness to move. L look, I grew up in a major city. I grew up, if you went to the house that I grew up in right now, there are exactly three Walmarts within 10 minutes of it. Right, right. Like we're I talking live, amenities of amenities. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I live 45 minutes from Walmart. Classic rural, classic rural metric, dude. I mean, like it's right there, just, yeah. It just is what it is. And at the end of the day, um, I have found the most fruit and, and people like me have sure. found the most fruit because we're willing to go. And I, th I think this drive to, I want to live where I want to live. I want to be who I want to be. I think there's just an immaturity to it. I, and if we're not willing to adapt and change for serving in ministry, I, I got to be honest with you, and this might sound a little judgmental to sure. some, but you probably aren't called to it. Like sure, if you sure. have to have a 200 mile radius of where you grew up, barring maybe some health issues with your parents and sure. like there's supply. obviously exceptions, but the statement's yeah. still worth considering, you know, like, like yeah. this is important to run through your brain to say like, am I willing to flex, to adapt, to change, to move, to go? Yeah. Cause again, bringing it back to the apostle Paul, all things to all people, Paul, I mean, Paul preached anywhere to anybody, even though as a Jew, his whole ministry was to people yeah. who he'd rather write off. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, I don't think it was much of a mistake by God that almost every time we see him call somebody in scripture, he tells them to go. Mm, that's really huge. I, you know, I, so there's just some, and look, I'm not, I'm not the guy, like I have, I don't want to be a missionary to Tanzania. 
right, and have right. to learn some random language. Like I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about being willing to live somewhere that's not convenient or realizing that there is a is a cost to ministry. And I think that that's mm. the, one of the challenges is we did have people who sacrificed their family on the altar of ministry for right. for decades. Yeah, these, and that's these the thing. Uh, excesses were real. They were real. Yes. Sure. But but the but the pendulum of that can't be I'm going to sacrifice nothing. Sure. I'm sure I see what you're saying. There's still a call because, to balance. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a call to balance and there there is a call to to sacrifice. It will be a sacrifice for my family for me to be a pastor. Right. That's a reality of the situation. Now, it's my job to make sure that my still my family still comes first, but there's a reality there's a reality that ministry is still going to cost my family something. Mm-hmm. My wife and I do that before we got married. I will say this too, and this is this is probably a side note. The logic that the only job, and I've heard pastors say this, and I can now say this because I'm a lead pastor, and everybody used to tell you, oh, well, it's different when you're a lead pastor. Sure. But the logic that the only career field in America where people really have to sacrifice to be in it as ministry is just dumb. Like yeah. anybody who leads something that matters sacrifices for it. Right. That's just a fact. Now there's a balance between healthy and unhealthy sacrifice. Right. Right. But, but it's funny because pastors will get in the huddle of, I mean, we're the only people and there are definitely different ways. Yeah. 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 You want to, you want to empathize with what is unique and challenging, but like, yeah. I had a lot of people in my sphere. Uh, my sister worked in a public school system. And like, you want to talk about sacrificing a lot for no pay? Yeah. Talk to public school teachers, talk to police officers and first responders, talk to oh, social yeah. workers where the turnover is huge from burnout and that struggle of caring people. Yeah. It's just a false sense of superiority that I sure. don't think is healthy. Sure. That's probably a better, that's the more educated way to call it dumb. Sure. Instead sure, 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 of sure. saying it's dumb, it's a false sense of superiority. I'll add this because we're both pastors, but the pastoral heart behind this to any of our listeners is like, hey, no one's condemned here, but like we do, we do have to call this stuff out. We have to look into our own life and say, hey, how are we continuing to grow, continuing to meet the challenges, and really continuing to steer the ship forward? I mean, that's what leadership is. And so, um, but let's continue diving into this. That was really great. Enjoyed that whole um, context there. But uh, let's talk about uh, remaining in ministry as a matter of it, you know, kind of that sacrifice. You've mentioned some specific challenges that you faced by kind of seeing behind the curtain, if you will, right, in ministry. And you, I'll let you go into depth however much you want to go into depth. But I was just not even floored because it doesn't surprise me at this point. But when you talk to you in conversation, you mentioned, well, here was this moral struggle and this issue with pastors and and how does one continue to love ministry? This is a huge question to me because it goes right along with what we're saying. Why do we stay in ministry? Why do we keep pastoring? So even after seeing leaders who fail to live up to the challenge and hurt people in the process, what makes you still love ministry? That's a that's a great question. Yeah. I mean, we've we've been through some super unique challenges, and none of them have to do. I've never had a moral failure. I've I've never had anything like that. Good. But yeah, yeah. To clarify. <laughs> for for clarification's sake. But I've been on staff in a couple of different scenarios where pastors have extreme burnout, um, where I, I was on staff at a church uh, in one location where there were four uh, pastors who left the staff in one day. Two people Dang. had more failures. Two people had um, 
just basically a nervous breakdown and just couldn't do it anymore. Sure. Uh, and all of that happened in one day. Fast forward nine months later, uh, we had a guy that was on staff that had gotten hired after all of that. And, and there was a freak accident that put our church into a $16 million lawsuit. Dang. Um, the church went from a thousand to about 450 on a good day, just in a, in a blink of an eye because wow. it was just a struggle. Uh, and that's, and that's not including like all of the other stuff that was going on. There were sure, issues. Sure. That's a snapshot. There were, sure. Yeah. And, and all of it hit within nine months and it was a lot. I had um, in a, in a church that I was on staff, I, I had a guy that, that let me go because he had really mishandled church finances. Sure. Uh, and by the way, that church has never recovered financially. Oh, wow. um, and, and instead of being honest about the situation, um, tried to make it about me personally. Mm. And, and it, he's, it, there's never been an apology. I actually have a pretty good relationship with that pastor now. Um, I, but there was never an apology. There was never an admission of this is what I did. Um, and I'm sorry. Um, and, and then when we hit COVID, I was on staff at a, at a church that's not affiliated with uh, our fellowship. And I didn't know, and this happens a lot when people get hired as executive pastors, what you're really doing is being hired to be the lead pastor. Cause the lead pastor is not ready to give up the job yet, but he's burned out. Sure. Sure. And, and so during COVID, I just worked for a guy that he's a good man, but was just burned out before COVID. We were actually supposed to announce the man's sabbatical the day the world shut down. <laughs> sure. And sure. I and I had to sit in his office and tell him, you know, you can't do that now, right? Right, right. This <laughs> That's has not been a hard yeah. conversation. Yeah. Uh, it was it was tough. It was it was very it was very very tough. Uh, so I really, for all intensive purposes, um, did the heavy lifting of leading uh, that church through through COVID, and so uh, it, it was it was a challenge. And that's and again, those are just like some of the stories that right, yeah, the snapshots. You know, and those so are we the come to we come to the understanding because we say, okay, we have experiences. We take the yeah. hits. We keep on moving. So why why do we keep on moving? Yeah, I mean, I, I think. For me, it's just a a firm belief that this is that this is what I'm I'm called to do. You, you know, I I don't again. I, I'm going to say some things that are real direct uh, because that's just sure. how I'm wired. But I don't mean them to be judgmental. And if you feel like I'm judging you, you may you may just for those of you listening, you know, may want to consider that's called conviction and not somebody judging you. Uh, I just sure, throwing that sure. out there. But you know, when I hear the amount of pastors that are jumping ship right now, the, the two things that I think immediately are that's sad. And mm -hmm. I wonder if they were actually called to do this. And the reason that I say that is I don't think I'm stronger than any other person. I think I have just a conviction that this is what I'm called to do. And if this is what I'm called to give my life to, then you know, I should give my life to it, even when it's not fun, you sure. know? And so sure. I, there's, there is this reality that I think sometimes, especially, and I, we all did this. I did this. I romanticized ministry for sure. 
you yeah, know, for sure. I, yeah, there's a lot of perks to it. You're preaching to crowds yeah. and you're people are getting saved and you get to be the middle of all these great solutions, but you're also in the middle of a lot yeah. of great problems. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there's a, you know, there's a I whole I can side. remember the first time a parent cussed me out when I was a youth pastor, you know, like I remember those moments going, oh, I didn't think this was going to ever happen, you know, but I think that there's a, if we're only good with ministry when it's easy, man, I, man, I think we, I think we've missed something. Well, thanks again for diving into part one of this two-part podcast with Andy McMillan, talking about how to contextualize the gospel in a rural place, even when you're coming in from the outside. I uh, definitely love the opportunity, again, to have these conversations, to bring you a perspective that is not just spoken to your context, but spoken by people who live, work, and minister there. As always, you can find us on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Uh, but in addition to that, I think the easiest way to spread a podcast about rural ministry is simply to tell one other rural pastor about a conversation I need to be a part of. Once again, I have been your host, Joe Epley. Next week, we will get to hear more from Andy McMillan, and we will see you next week.